It all started with a very simple idea. Tell the stories of how successful middle market CEOs made it to the corner office. I'm Brand Handley, founder and managing director of Resource Options International, or ROI. We're the USA's premier executive search firm focused exclusively on empowering middle market companies to attract, hire, and retain A players while transforming top executives' careers and lives. ROI's Into the Corner office is dedicated to discovering how middle market CEOs advance their career, and we're making these remarkable and sometimes quite unbelievable stories available to you for the very first time. Listen and learn about the challenges they've overcome, the interesting people they've met along the way, and the lessons learned that steered these executives' unique journey into a middle market corner office of their own. I know you enjoy these CEO stories as much as I've enjoyed recording them. So thank you for listening today. And if you like what you've heard, rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm looking forward to you joining me on the next great middle market CEO adventure into the corner office. Today's guest is CEO Buzz Bradley. A natural at sales, marketing, and helping clients maximize product and service offerings, Buzz has an extensive career helping grow and lead middle market manufacturing organizations. Buzz's strong customer service focus, eye for details, and innovative entrepreneurial spirit have allowed him to adroitly manage production, people, and profits. He has been the CEO of ZPAX Corporation, an industry-leading manufacturer of ultralight backpacking equipment, since 2015. Buzz Bradley, welcome into the corner office. Thank you. Glad to be here. Great. Well, you know, we like to kind of start a little bit with the background and would love to hear a little bit about your early years, you know, where you grew up and uh, what part of the country you came from. Tell us a little bit about your family life. Sure. So I grew up in the Bay Area of California. I actually grew up on a large piece of agricultural land that uh, my family had worked for over many years. Uh, it was a little bit outside the city limits. and then, I was going to say, there's not too many of those in the city anymore. <laughs> well, there, no, there's not. But um, we, we grew up just about 30 miles outside of uh, San Francisco. And uh, it's a big city, but there's still lots of open land there. And we just happened to uh, have the opportunity to live in one. Was it up in the Marin area or what, 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 what direction were those 30 miles? It's in the Tri-Valley area. So it's, it's the East Bay. The um, other side. Yeah. The other side, yeah. Yeah, terrific. And brothers and sisters? I have two brothers, and my uh, my parents are, are still married and, and happily living life. O- older brothers, younger brothers? I'm the oldest of You're three the brothers. oldest, got, uh, it. Yep. got it. And mom and dad, uh, professionals, uh, mom worked from the home, raised the kids. What, what was the structure uh, growing up? So my dad was an entrepreneur. He, he, he didn't like working for others. He liked working for himself. And uh, my mom was a nurse, and my two brothers are currently firefighters, paramedics in uh, in the Bay Area still. So, so you got the entrepreneurial blood that came into your veins. I did. <laughs> what kind of uh, uh, businesses did your dad get started and and run, or or is currently still running? Uh, well, he had lots of jobs growing up, but the two main successful ones that he had one was in construction uh, renovation. And then the, his biggest success was actually in electronics. He was serving the telecommunications industry through uh, coaxial jumper cables. Got it. Got it. Was he an engineer by training? Uh, no, he was definitely not that. He was just uh, a go-getter. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And uh, what kind of influence uh, did they have on your growing up? Uh, obviously, having an entrepreneurial dad, uh, did you get involved in any of his enterprises at all? 
I did. Yeah, I actually uh, got started really early. He likes to tell people he took me to work when I was two weeks old. <laughs> you know, that's a common trait, I must tell you. And a lot of the CEOs we speak to, you know, they get involved quite early, particularly when dads are, uh, you know, the entrepreneurial type. Yeah, so I, I definitely got my creativity from him and I got my patience from my mom. <laughs> cool, cool. And uh, any other early influencers uh, in your life? Um, you know, an uncle or maybe a coach, someone that might have... Uh, had some influence on you in those early days? Uh, well, my dad was also my coach in many of the sports, so he was he was very active. Um, but I like to have a lot of entre- a lot of um, mentors throughout. So I always like to, you know, pick out two or three people. And this has been early on. I, I'll identify something I like or something maybe I don't like about a person, and then I'll try to to learn as much as I can from them to either learn what to do or what not to do. Mentors are really important. What, what was the first mentor that she had and, you know, what capacity and what age? Uh, well, uh, of course, as I've mentioned a couple of times, my, my dad and I spent a lot of time together. So I, I learned a lot from him. Um, he actually had a successful exit in his business. He sold to another uh, family company and and the new ownership really took me under their wing. So I had That's nice. four really great people that uh, were very successful, totally different, um, but but they were able to uh, teach, lead, and guide, and and do all those things that um, that you would really hope for. So I had a I had a unique experience in that regard. What age were you at that stage? Uh, so I started working. You know, one of those things. Your dad has a company. Growing up, you've worked in it since you were in middle school and gra- graduate high school, and he says, "Hey, guess what? I sold it." Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, I, I got a. I got a job as an inside sales rep. It was basically a bunch of inactive and dead accounts, and um, and I started there. And and as I so this was, I worked this was after it, high school or after college. This was right after high school. So I started working right after high school, and then um, as I was working, uh, went back to I got my two year degree, and then I went back and, and got um, my bachelor's degree after that. Well, back to your school days, uh, kind of early school, middle school, high school. Were you a good student? Uh, not really, not until <laughs> I was, I was a good, that's student. a common trait too. I must add. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I actually wasn't a good student until, um, the last two years of my bachelor's degree, because at that time I was a director of sales and I was, I was on a track to be the second generation of leadership for that, uh, the parent company. And and so they wanted me to increase my education. And what was great about it was I would go to school at night. And so I would go to school on Tuesday nights. And then on Wednesday morning, I was always a little bit smarter. So, <laughs> so once I could actually apply it to real life and I was interested in what I was learning because it was applicable to me, that's when it became interesting. But it, when it was just a, a book, I didn't really care that much. All right. Right. Back to kind of middle school and high school, you mentioned sports. What sports did you play? Primarily baseball. I also played basketball and soccer. And any uh, ambitions to do that at the collegiate level? Or did you always kind of feel that high school was, uh, you know, enough for you in terms of those sports? Uh, I was really into baseball quite heavily. And then as I got into my senior year, perspective changed a little bit and got interested in other things and just kind of uh, uh, moved on to the next chapter. What about entrepreneurial things? Uh, it sounds like you were involved with your dad's, obviously, from your two weeks uh, uh, first showing up at the job site. But, uh, you know, were there things that you did, you know, paper routes, uh, selling stuff at Christmas time? Uh, so what I 
I like to create things. I like to solve problems. So I like to work with my hands a lot too. When, when I was in high school, I took wood shop and, and I would say I want to make uh, my first my first woodshop project ever was a, a roll top desk, or actually I guess it's my second one. But I designed the pattern myself. I built it myself. I made every decision in it because I I just felt the excitement in developing the plan first and then executing. And that's been a that's been a trend in my in my career is when I first enter a new environment, I assess the situation, I develop a plan, and then I execute on that plan. And I think that's what entrepreneurs need to do. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, did you actually uh, sell some of your wares at a wood shop or was it really making things more for yourself? It was making things more for myself. So no spending money or anything like that? Any any vices during high school that, uh, you know, you had to uh, support while you were, uh, you know, still going to school? Um, not really. I like to, um, to me, I, there's people that make money because they, they like what money can do for you. And there's people that make money because they like to collect it. And I, I like to make money so I can use it for things I enjoy. So more, more experience based than, uh, than stuff. I like to go do things. What were some of the earliest jobs then? Was it those sales position you'd mentioned earlier or were there other jobs that, you know, were kind of W2 wages or hourly wages during those high school years? Oh, so during high school, um, I was in production. So I, I had the fun job of having, standing on the, on the end of a machine that would spit out product and I had to count them and bundle them and put them into the next tray. Um, and then I got into shipping and receiving and I got into some kit assembly and then office management. And then once I, once I graduated from, or not office management, more office assistant stuff. And then, um, once I graduated from high school, then I got my first, uh, inside sales position. So that was a dad's company, right? During the high school years. Yep. The only, the people that I worked for outside of that, my uncle was an electrician and I would help him on some jobs. My, um, we had a, uh, a person that we knew that built cabinets. So I, I would help with some custom cabinetry and, and installation. And then I also, one summer I worked at old Navy as a greeter. Okay. Got it. Was it uh, you know, kind of a foregone conclusion that you'd go to college? It sounds like you went straight to work right away. Right. So was college uh a thought that came along later or, you know, what was your thinking about that during your high school years? Um, I think it was really a thought that I came through later. Um, it, it was, I was kind of raised in a blue collar family. So it was really about you get up, you work hard, you, you know, you, you pay for, you, you pay for the things that you want. It, it wasn't really about go get your education and get a great job after that. It was, if you want to go get an education, you work during the day and then you can go to school at night. So that's kind of what you did, right? So you did your AA work at night while you were still working as an inside sales rep? Uh, I did. And then when you went back to get your BA, did you also do that part-time? I did. And what did you study in college? What did you finally get your degree in? Uh, management marketing. Mm-hmm. Got it. So kind of decided on business. It Was that led, you know, primarily kind of the fact that you were working in business at the time or were you kind of hungry for some certain skills? Tell us a little bit about how you decided to get your business degree. Uh, first, I was really motivated by um, or encouraged really by the the there was four brothers that ran this this company. And, and as they decided that I was going to be brought into the fold and as that next generation, they decided that it was important for each of us um, Gen 2 individuals that we were going to increase our education and that we were going to get more 
scholastic skills to support our real life experience. So we kind of got taught at school, we got taught by them, and then we got taught by by actually performing our own work and our own projects and and learning on the fly. Do you remember the first time you started managing people? It was in my early 20s. I was probably 22 or 23. Uh, I went from inside sales to sales management and then um and then same after company. that same, same company. company. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. So by the time I was so I I've I've had three parts to my career. So I had that first part um and it was it was from 18 until 30 and when I left that job at 30 I was actually the general manager of what used to be my dad's company and then I was the vice president of sales and product management for the parent company who had several verticals that they supported um and and really it was it was one of those things where I was really good at what I was doing but I wasn't really enjoying what I was doing and I felt like I needed to make a change what were some of those early uh, leadership lessons you learned from some some of those bosses and or mentors you worked with during those years? Well, I learned I learned that when a good opportunity comes across your desk, you should take it. And then if you don't know how to do it, figure it out. Um, it's it's always good to take the opportunity when it's presented to you. You can always figure out how to deliver on it later. But if you let opportunities pass you by because you're not ready, what you'll realize is that you're never really ready. for any opportunity. You just got to take it and just do the best that you can. So I learned that. And that's really, you know, what entrepreneurs do. They say, yeah, I can do that. Well, have you done it before? Well, no, but I can figure it out. And that's, that's how businesses get started. Um, I also learned from uh, one of my mentors uh, from the other company was, he talked a lot about, it's not about how much you make, but it's about how much you keep. And, and so when you're, looking at something, let's say you sell something for a dollar. Well, by the time that dollar is sold, once all your direct costs and your overheads are paid, you're going to drop, say, 10 cents to the bottom line. But if you can take a dollar expense out of operations, you keep that dollar. So you have to sell $10 to be equivalent for $1 in cost savings. Now, you can never get your cost down to zero, but you should operate as lean as, as possible while at the same time and enhancing sales. And that was where I got my success is when I took over as general manager, I was able to increase sales while reducing costs. And when you take those two things and you do them at the same time, it has a tremendous impact on your bottom line. Oh, that's excellent. Great. So that was uh, one of your bosses or mentors that uh, you learned that from? Both. Yeah. Both both. a boss and a mentor. Yeah. Got it. Any uh, any bad lessons from former bosses? No names need to be mentioned, but you know sometimes it's the examples of others too that lead us. Yeah, absolutely, and, and I definitely did learn. Um, you know, one you have to be you have to be focused and you have to be grounded. You can't get excited over things. You know, it's a, it's a process. It doesn't matter if it's a hundred dollar deal or a million dollar deal. The steps are all the same. So don't get excited about things. Um, and I, I definitely work for some people that they got excited and they made emotional decisions and they didn't make, they didn't go through the process of, okay, this is, this is what we do when this comes up and this is how we stay stable. So I think, I think not getting excited about things is important. Um, the other thing that I learned, a lot of entrepreneurs, you know, they're people that I'm just going to do it myself or I have to do it myself because no one else can do it better. I don't trust anyone to perform this task. And to me, it's, it's more about, I would rather build 
a good process with good systems because then I can go on vacation or I can, you know, I can get sick or go to my kid's graduation or something like that. I don't, it's, I was uh, listening to an audio book the other day and they were talking about the difference between selling hamburgers and making a process and making systems that last. Yes. So I, I've seen both. I've seen people that were big on the process and I've seen people that were, um, that were, I got to do this myself. And the people that got to do it themselves, they never, I shouldn't say never, but it seems stressful. <laughs> it seems, it seems like there's too much burden. And as they're more successful, the more the burden and the responsibility and the kind of the smothering of time and resources happen. So um, I've seen people do that. And there's only so far you can grow if you're, if you're the hero. True. So, so true. Um, this is your second or third CEO's position at CPEX. Through the general manager uh, position, I really had full P&L responsibility. I did report to the parent company. Um, and then I took on some entrepreneurial jobs as well. And, and the same thing there, it, it worked well. But again, I was fulfilling someone else's dream. So we did have a couple successful startups, but the process was to find a talented operator and build a business around that person. Um, so I was helping that person fulfill their dream. I also did some consulting for professional service providers and again, showing them how to take them their business from, say, a tax firm into a small business. Um, and then uh, ZPAX is uh, where I got my, my first official CEO title that wasn't um, self-granted by you know, being a founder of a business. So, Buzz, how would you say your leadership style has evolved over time? So early on, I could definitely see both sides of the equation, and sometimes I lack conviction in my decisions. Um, so if I was in a room with two people and we were discussing what we were going to do going forward, um, I could see one person's perspective, and I would agree with that, and then I could see another person's perspective, and I agree with that. And just depending on how that conversation went, I wasn't really forming my own opinion. And what I, what I realized is that you really have to make decisions quickly and you have to be slow to change them. And, and it's okay if you love it today and you hate it tomorrow, but you should only hate it tomorrow if new information comes to, your, to you and you re recognize that, you know, this isn't the right path. But, I mean, you should be really, really slow to change and really have a lot of conviction in where you're headed. It's okay to change your mind. I think that's very, very insightful. And sometimes do, situations do change, right? And you've got to be willing to roll with the punches. Absolutely. And then once you've made your decision and once you really, uh, and, and again, it comes to the planning, right? So once you've made a decision and you've said, yeah, this is where we're going to go, you're going to stand behind it unless um, something substantial changes. Then it comes down to persuasion. It comes down to um, the people involved, both internal and external, and how you get them to move in the direction that you want them to move. You talked a little bit about, you know, managing others. How do you decide if it's time to micromanage someone or, or stay out of their sandbox, so to speak? So I definitely want to be involved in the planning process because that's mm -hmm. the foundation. If the blueprints aren't right, you can, you can lean your ladder against the wrong wall. And by the time you climb it, you realize that's not where you wanted to be. So you want to, I, I definitely am involved in the planning phase. And then I also get involved again if things start to get off track and they need to be back on. But otherwise, I like to hire the best people that are available to me and I like to put them in the right seats to do the right job. And when you do that, if you if you do all those things and then micromanage, you've 
there's no point in doing the other things first. Right. Absolutely. Now, um, if I understood you correctly, CPACs uh, is a company that you were uh, hired to become the CEO, correct? Or, or are you also a founder there? Uh, I was hired to be the CEO. Hired, exactly. So, so you came into an existing culture. How, how uh, old was the company when you joined as CEO back in 15? 10 years old. Okay. So it's been around a while. Talk to me a little bit about your thoughts on building a company culture, particularly coming into a, an established business, one that's been around for 10 years, and you've been there now, what, three, going on four years, I guess. Um, talk to me a little bit about how you know that plays out in your role as CEO. Yeah, so a company culture is important, and the reason why is really a company at least should be a collection of people working towards a common goal, right? And so what happens, though, is that, that that's not always the case. So you have internal struggles. Sometimes you you, re, you think the enemy's on the inside when really the enemy should be on the outside. <laughs> um, so a culture really needs to be the mission, the vision, the goals. They all need to be alive in the organization. Everyone needs to be um, working, working for the same end goals. They need to know what those end goals are. And that's not a, that's not a passive exercise. That's very active. And... Um, and you definitely have to be hands-on, and that needs to be important for you. And I think that's something that's important to us at ZPAX is, is that a lot of us are actual customers of the brand. We, we, we build things that we would use ourselves, so that's important. So we care and we're passionate about it. And then we care and we're passionate about the people and the things that we're trying to accomplish. So um, as time has gone on, we went from a bunch of individuals in a building to now we're starting to form a collection of people all marching towards those same goals. And, and that culture is, is very important. Yeah. How many people in the organization today? Just under a hundred. So Buzz, tell me what's unusual or unique about your company culture today. So what I would say is very unique in, in, in our company culture is that we are successful and changing and we're actively changing. Um, we're, we're doing this intentionally because we started off in a garage with um, success, but we had a garage shop mentality. And a few years back, we started to uh, embark in this change um, to become an established small business. And as we do that, new problems arise and we can address new issues. So um, going from a bunch of individuals to one harmonious team, a collection of, of individuals that's working for ZPACs, um, is a change that's really exciting. And of course, there's some bumps in the road. We're really doing something new. And to, to take a risk on changing a successful playbook isn't something that a lot of people do, but we're doing that. The other thing that makes us unique is we are our own customers. That's, that's number one priority for us. So we build things that we use ourselves. We're 100% authentic in, in the products that we make and the decisions and the debates that go into making those products. I mean, even right now, uh, three key members of our team are in Utah hiking the Uintas Mountain Range. We're using our existing gear. They're testing new gear. Um, we're living the story that we tell. We aren't just in a room, hey, send me a bunch of stuff. We'll look at it. Yeah, that looks cool. We'll put it out and see how it goes. No, we develop it hands-on. We use it hands-on. And once we give it our stamp of approval that we will use this ourselves, then we put it out to market and let people decide if that's right for them. What a great job perk that is. Definitely. What do you look for when you're making bets on the people you invest in? Um, so one is, do they get it? You know, 
Do they get what we're asking them to do? Do they want to do what we're asking them to do? And then do they have the ability? And if they have those three things, if they get it, they want it, and they have the ability to execute, then that's when you place your bet. Because there's plenty of talented people, but maybe there's a fit issue um, or anything, any other thing. Maybe pay is off You know what we think it's worth and what they think they're worth. Um, maybe there's a disconnect there. So that's where the want it comes in because you might want to be CEO, but you might not want to be CEO for that particular <laughs> package. And then right. all of a sudden, that's not a good fit anymore. Um, so that's really important. Now, do you get involved in a lot of interviewing, particularly outside of uh, your direct reports? Yes. Yes, I do. And how do you go about interviewing and hiring? Um, so I want to understand hmm. what's important to them. You know, uh, what is their personality type? What are their core strengths and values? And um, how would they fit in the seat that we're interviewing for? And, and how do they fit in the organization? And uh, do you uh, typically... Uh, interview everybody in the organization that's coming in. You're kind of still small enough where you could do that, or do you only get involved in maybe one level below your, you know, executive uh, suite or your direct hires? As we continue to grow, um, there is becoming more and more separation. I would say that the <laughs> the first the first year, I think I was either the first, second, or third interview of of every single hire, and um, now we have different levels I get involved in and other levels. Um, we have a team that takes care of that. So, so now, you know, let's say there's a direct report of yours and, you know, he or she is hiring someone that they really want to make sure that you sign off on, but you just have maybe five or 10 minutes. What, what would you zero in on? What would be the two or three key things, you know, provided that their qualifications have been vetted and, you know, there's obviously a, a couple of rounds that have gone in before you in terms of the interview process. Yeah. So first, First thing I would ask is describe to me the position you're interviewing for. Make sure they have an understanding of it. Yeah, make sure that we're on the same page because a lot of times it's just miscommunication or misrepresentation uh, in some ways. Um, and then the other thing I would I would ask is is what excites them, just in general to understand you know what kind of person they are. Are they excited about risk? Are they excited about stability? Are they excited about products or systems or whatever it is? But I want to know. Um, what gets them going? And then I would also ask what's important to them. In other words, what do they think about in their spare time? Well, Buzz, we've just about run out of time and uh, really appreciate how generous you've been with it and the story behind your career and obviously that success of ZPAC. One of the things that uh, many of our audience uh, you know, wants to come and hear from the CEOs is, you know, what kind of career and life advice uh, would you give them? Yeah. So first I would say do it for the right reasons, chase it for mm -hmm. the right reasons. And what I mean by that is um, in the first part of my career, I was very successful, but I didn't enjoy it. I was always mm -hmm. the kind of person and probably why I was successful was once I get fill in the blank, I'll be happy or this mm -hmm. will be better. And so I went from the lowest level position making minimum wage all the way up to the highest level position making a lot more than minimum wage. And the only consistent thread was that I wasn't ever happy in the present and I was always mm. looking for what was next. And once I realized that, I just simply walked away. In the second part of my career, I was really, I, I was an entrepreneur and I, and I thought that that's maybe where I wanted to go. But what I found is that I was, I was making others their dreams come true. I still wasn't fulfilling my own dreams. So I really had to sit down and give this idea 
some thought of what what is happiness? What does that really mean mm. to me? Yeah. Um, so then I made a life plan for myself. I visualized what that what that life looked like, and then I made it happen. So when I looked at it and I said, okay, am I better at making a company or growing an established company? I said, I've done both. And I realize now that I'm better at growing an established company. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And I liked cool. it. I liked running companies. So I definitely wanted to get into that top spot, but in that top spot of someone of an organization that was already established. And I knew that I really liked the outdoors. So On those three criteria, I could really narrow it down. So I identified a half dozen companies that fit those three criteria. I challenged the criteria to make sure that was, in fact, actually going to make me happy. And then once I did that, I put together a value proposition. I reached out to them, and one company, ZPACs, decided that what I could offer was a value to them. And I already knew going into it that what they could offer was a value to me. Right. And that's where it worked. And I think it's really important to understand the difference between being a CEO and an entrepreneur. And the difference Mm -hmm. is really akin to adopting a child versus having your own. Yeah, yeah, so true. They're definitely different and they're both wonderful in their own ways, but you have to decide which one is right for you and then go that route. Well, Buzz Bradley, thank you so much for sharing your journey into the corner office. We've really enjoyed the conversation today and best of luck and continue to grow ZPAX. Thank you. I appreciate your time. Thank you for listening to Into the Corner Office with Brant Hanley. We hope you enjoyed hearing our guest CEO story as much as we did. If you want to hear more CEOs reveal their journey into the corner office, please subscribe via iTunes and tell your friends and colleagues. For more information about Brant, Resource Options International, and the mighty middle market, visit www.goforroi.com. We look forward to having you join us for our next episode. 